Welcome to the Rock of Bay County, Florida, where our vision is to be a multi-generational gathering, moving as one body to bring the glory of Yahweh to this beautiful county and to all the earth. We hope you are encouraged and blessed as you listen to this message. You know what, you know what stirs me about this morning? A lot, but you know, whenever I wasn't, this is, this is going to be, I'm going to come at this at a very weird angle. Like I like to do, I wasn't raised a hunter or a fisher men. Sorry, dad, but I was, I had an amazing childhood. We were on the water. We camped, we did all the outdoorsy things, but I I never, as a kid was a hunter. I never, I never did that. And as I got older, I kind of desired to experience that. Um, and luckily I have men around me like Coit and Henry Jordan, Mike LaMonica, Steve Gerlez that are in that world and help me to kind of get there. Now my dad and I both do that stuff together and it's really cool. But I think one of the first things that I had to come to terms with, I think is obvious when you're hunting is that there's an exchange of life. I don't like the sport hunting thing. I think that's killing. That's, I don't, but the, the, the meat exchange type thing, the, the, the idea, and if I was going to be okay with that, and it kind of led me down an interest of, of how that stuff all began. And uh, they believe through archaeologists, like finding remains of campsites where they, they had fire and there was bone fragments in there, that there was that that early humans were like scavengers because they didn't have they had these bone fragments in these campfires before they knew that they had means to create arrows and bows and and um, and spears and different things like that so before they hunted so they believed that what they actually did in the very beginning was they would they would run up on a, a, a recent kill like a, another animal had preyed on an animal killed the animal hope this isn't too gruesome for all of you, but they, and they would either scare that predator off if they could get to it, or what is more likely is that they would take the femur bone of an animal because it was too hard for the other predators to get into. So they'd come up on a kill, they would take that bone and they would stick it in coals. They learned to stick it under hot coals. And when it got brittle enough, they'd bust it open and they would get bone marrow out of there. And it was key to early survival. But it wasn't enough as population grew that that would sustain them. So they became hunters. This hunger for something more made them hunters, made them develop weapons and methods to chase down uh, animals and to survive. And it really isn't until a few hundred years ago that that was not a, that that's become like not what we do. Like we're kind of more commercialized if, and, and that's kind of a scary thought if you think about what happens if, like, Chick-fil-A and Publix isn't open, you know? <laughs> it kind of brings things to reality a little bit. But, like, my point in saying this isn't, isn't that, in fact, we, so we're, and we're so accustomed to and so used to the meat that we could get from a supermarket or whatever else or that served to us, we're so used to that that for the most part, someone who's never tasted wild game would, uh, 
would have to train, have to, to train their palate to actually receive that wild game. Most people don't like it because they're accustomed to how they were raised and what they were brought up in is something that's not quite wild. And this morning, whenever things are happening, I'm going to tell you, like, I, when my mom is, like, shackalacking and going loud and doing all this kind of stuff, I'm just going to be honest with you, like, something started to kind of go, oh. Or sometimes when Ben starts going off and everything like that, I'm like, right in and we got visitors today, like... <laughs> You know what I mean? But, but that, that's, that's because I've been commercialized in so many ways. And like, I think that if, if this is uncommon, if walking into a room and someone laying hands with passion or, or someone speaking healing or speaking redemption or speaking like change in the lives of people. And, and it's in a passionate way where the spirit is flowing. And that is weird to us. I believe that it's because we have been commercialized to believe that all, all churches and what's comfortable is that we come in and we can sing the songs and we can sit down and we can get a good word. And it's really, it's really funny if you think about the, the, that story of like of how we originally came to hunt and, and the kingdom. Because if you think about the Old Testament... The Old Testament was a very big time of look at what Yahweh does, you know, or he he touches a man or a a, a select few that everybody kind of stands back and wow, but there's not this belief that we can walk in that same anointing, right? And so there's this, this is the original and it's just God and oh, don't smite me and all these things and we're, and no one can actually walk in relationship, but then he sends a son. And Yeshua comes to this earth, to this planet as a man. And at that point in time, our excuses should have been forfeited. Because, because as he died and was resurrected, he said to tarry until power comes from on high. He says that it's Christ within us, the hope of glory. And like I said before, his disciples are what he, what he told his disciples to do is to heal the sick, to raise the dead, to cleanse the leper. And I think some of us almost use this excuse of, well, what about that scripture that says, though you did signs and wonders and miracles, you never knew me. Well, that's because you never knew him. But it doesn't mean that signs and wonders and miracles aren't an effect of the kingdom. How can I walk? How can I make the claim and walk as a man with Christ with the same spirit that rose him from the dead. And be, and, and be shifted into this mindset of disbelief in someone healing. I just believe that that means we've lost our taste for wild game. When we can come in here and we can get on, we can sit down and get on the computer because we have a stomach ache and WebMD tells us this, that, and the other. And the next thing you know, two days from now, we're going to be dead. Like, (laughs) and it's not just like the chorizo you ate earlier. Like that, that, that mentality, I I, I know I kind of make things whatever, but I'm, I'm serious about this in the sense of, I think that, that we need to realize that there is a reason that Yahweh has come and brought the word to us of change the way you think. 
And there's a reason why Yeshua told them to do all those things. And he said, for the reason being, tell them to repent for the kingdom is at hand. And I don't believe he means, obviously we said this, I don't believe he means say you're sorry for the kingdom is coming. I believe he meant, look, this is the norm of the kingdom. This is on earth as it is in heaven. This is what it looks like. So I need you to change your mind because the kingdom is actually at hand, meaning you can walk in the same glory and the same anointing as we do. His disciples walked in a room where he did all these different signs and wonders and miracles. He said, greater works will you do. And those greater works look like people being healed because a shadow touched them. But we sit in this like constant like battle within ourselves of, of, of not really wanting to come boldly into a situation where there's a grace put on us for healing. And, and we don't want to come into a room where things get a little bit wild. Like that. <laughs> wow. Right on cue, baby doll. I hope that was recorded. I hope my mic picked that up. And you better not cut it out, Jeff. <clears throat> you know, I think that, I think that really my, my role here and I've been challenged lately of, of not, um, I've been challenged lately of, of to, to not go ahead and move on. Like when I've sat down and I've written notes or I've, you know, been praying about ministering one day or whatever it might be, I've, I feel like Holy Spirit has really challenged me to be okay camping out. And it's something kind of like what you said, similar, Robert Allen. But because I, I don't believe that my goal is that I be the marrow or that Holy Spirit be the marrow in this house, right? That he, that he brings words, that he brings atmospheres that give us a taste of something authentic, but doesn't fill us to the point that we're not seekers. Seek ye first the kingdom and everything will be added, not hear a word and everything will be added. And I feel like the reason that we've been okay in the kingdom and, and things haven't changed is because we've taken, we've, we've kind of ridden on the curtails of people who have experienced something and believe that they are enlightened to something and there's something bigger in them and there's not any sin in them and there's nothing all, they've got this figured out. So that's why this is the, this is how they can do things. And so it would be best since I could never achieve that to go ahead and sit down let them cook me a meal and serve it to me. And the church has been co- become complacent to say that if, the, if it's not happening through them, well, I love my mom did this morning. She said, I know Mark, I could ask Mark to lay hands on you, but I'm laying hands on you today. 
Because like, and if I'm going to move on from a word that Yahweh's given me or an atmosphere, we're just going to keep going song to song and sermon to sermon and just day to day. And we're just going to keep going through that thing. To me, I honestly believe that is arrogance and pride on me as a leader. And the reason I say that is because I don't want a quote book ever. Doesn't mean that quote books aren't awesome. There's so many people that I quote that I think are great. Apostle Ball has a quote book. I'm not saying, but for me, and I believe in the day that I'm in, I don't want a quote book because what I want is, is to realize, and I know better than any of you in here within myself, that what I'm doing right now, standing before you, naturally is impossible. I hate public speaking. I hate it. Always have. The Bible isn't something that I just fed myself on growing up. I never knew up until probably maybe three years ago at this point, maybe less even, that, that I was being called into something like this. And so I can be real with you this morning when I say that if I'm speaking something, it's Holy Spirit, that, that he's speaking through me, and that's where the credit, it would be better that I not see a tweet or a Facebook post or a whatever. It's not, I'm not saying you can't do these things. I'm just saying that it would, it would mean more that that word not just be quotable, but become life-changing word to you because it's become to me. It's the only reason I release it or I'm walking through it, and it's changing me. And so I, so what I, what I hope is that it's an, imp- I, I just see like almost like, you know, those sparker, the sparklers on like 4th of July and you, some of them you light and it's like psh, immediately. I'm usually the guy that's over that, hang on, I'll get there. And I'm like holding it right over the thing. I'm like, there's no way this thing's not lightning. It's right on there. It's right. But then eventually it takes. And I feel like we need to camp out in the word because the fear, the doubt, the disbelief, the, uh, the, 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 the uh, hopelessness, whatever it is that you're walking through, uh, sin, whatever shame, anything like that, that's, that's deep down within your heart that you don't even realize maybe and you don't know why you feel a certain way or why don't I have joy. It's because that thing didn't come overnight. It might've came from an experience but that got into your heart through the process of the mind constantly flashing that up. And at night when you go to sleep, and the anxiety, and the worry, and the doubt, and we come and we chew that stuff up, and we will dwell in that place, and we'll do, and then all of a sudden a word that gives us a little uh, tingle in our necks and makes us feel good goes, oh, that was great, and my mind understood it. Let's move on to the next thing. That tasted really good. Next course, please. But if the fear, something so negative and not of the kingdom, gets into your heart by ways of constantly bringing it up and constantly chewing on it and constantly dwelling on it, then the only way that the joy and the peace and the hope and the peace that passes all understanding and all these things that we sing about and all these things that we speak about become part of who we are, our lab, our inner man, our, the, the innermost being of who we are, our hearts, the only way that that's going to take place 
is if we constantly camp out in that and we take words that, that, that all of a sudden, man, that spoke to me. Well, man, I'm going back and I'm going to read what, what, what either Mark read or Ben read or whoever spoke or Ellen did. Or, and I'm going to go back and I'm going to start to be a seeker. I'm going to be a hunter. And I'm, gonna, and I'm, going, I'm going after it for myself. And that might sound monotonous. And it might sound like, man, I don't, I, I'm not going to do that. So, but you can't expect this, you can't expect these things that were deep-rooted, that cha- Yeshua can change things in a moment, right? And the steps of a righteous man are ordered of Yahweh, but, of Yahweh, but we also have to take those steps. And his mercies are new every morning, but we have to go after those mercies. It's a draw near to me and I'll draw near to you. It's a bring joy, and I'll give you joy. Be anxious for nothing. Oh, do we hear that one again? Well, are you living in anxious for nothing? I'm not quite there yet. I'm not. So be anxious for nothing. But in all things, through prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving in this heart, Make your request known unto Yahweh in his peace. The answer for the anxiety is his peace that surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds, which is the processing plant for who you are. I, man, I feel this. this I, I, feel, I just feel this like, let's change our taste buds. I really feel like let's, let's change our expectations for church. And this isn't like, what'd you come with expectation? Let's, this is church and we're, you know, no, I'm talking about the real kingdom. I'm talking about how we were designed and what, what lie we've believed. How are we identified in Christ? What makes us different from everyone else? Yes. But what does the Bible say that we've been reading about that is an identifier as a son? Not moving on. Your ancestors have also been taught, love your neighbors and hate the ones who hate you. However, I say to you, love your enemy. Bless one who curses you. Do something wonderful for those who hate you and respond to the very ones who persecute you by praying for them. For that will reveal your identity as children of your heavenly father. That's fluffy, dude. I'm not sitting around praying for people that I can't stand or for praying for people that disagree with me, praying for people that... But this is what Matthew says. This is the key. And it's not about you being justified or not, you know, they, they being justified or what if they, my prayer all of a sudden makes them some millionaire. Well, start praying for yourself. It's working. No, it's about separating yourself to operate as someone of the kingdom of Yahweh to, so that the earth is waiting for the sons to be revealed. We have to look into what does it look like to be a son? And the Bible tells us that it's those that pray for those that oppose them. That's too simple for most of us. But the Bible says, pray for your enemies for this will identify you as a son of your heavenly father. So small. What's the will of Yahweh for our lives? I told you I'm camping out. I know you've heard this. I'm camping. 
I'm camping because this needs to be something. You know, one of the things I think could change our lives is if we put the fruits of the Spirit on our mirror every morning. Or we walked around, all you guys go get tattoos of the fruits of the Spirit up your arm. (laughs) Amen. Just kidding. But what I'm saying is that, that so quickly we can forget what He's spoken to us. And what I really believe... I'm trying not to get ahead of myself here, but I, I, I'm about to just completely just do away with anything that I've written here. <laughs> but what is the will of Yahweh? Let me finish this thought. What is the will of Yahweh for my life? Rejoice always. Pray continually. Be thankful in every single circumstance. For this is the will of Yahweh for your life in Christ Yeshua. Nah, it's bigger than that, right? It is and it isn't. This is what we have to understand first is number one, can you be thankful in every single circumstance? Can you let go of some of this? Can you rejoice in everything? Can you stay in communion with the Father? That's his desire. So we have an identifier as sons when we pray for our enemies and, we, and we, we know the will of Yahweh for our life is to be thankful. <laughs> to me, it's, it's life-changing. And I hope, I hope that eventually it comes to that place for you. But for me, I can carry a lot of frustration and hate when I see certain things and I can just be very angry about something. And to separate myself from that through requiring myself to die to what I think's right. Yeah, it's no longer I who lives, but Christ that lives within me. My ability to let go of that has freed me in ways I can't quite explain. In a simple scripture. And I think that Yahweh is giving us new tools because there was, there was a, there's a, there's a, a group of pioneers, I believe. There's a generation of pioneers and what they did was amazing in the kingdom. Apostle Ball's in there, obviously, especially for us and for many in the kingdom. But what the requirement of what they were called to do was super tough. And they had swords and they had battle and they had to clear the land and they had to, they had to, to, to get things out of the way to prepare a way. And to settle something. But I'm not of that generation. And actually, I don't care if you are in that age range or whatever. You're not of that generation. I'll say it better this way. You're not of that glory. The kingdom moves not from 2019 to 2020, but from glory to glory. So I'm not so pumped about 2020 as much as I am about what Yahweh is doing in this glory and getting everything that I can so that I move into the next glory. And so in this, in this day, in this generation, we aren't pioneers. I believe that we're builders. I, I believe that we, the land has been cleared and so many people get themselves stuck in a place sitting out there swirling a sword around, fighting and trying to clear something that they have, someone already paid the price for. Someone already did that. 
And just like Apostle Paul said in his quote that I, I pray that uh, the next generation doesn't have to come down here and try to reinvent the wheel, but they stand on my shoulders and see that things expand further than they could ever imagine. That should be, that's, that's the heart of the pioneer. That I didn't do this so that you could continue to do it and continue to pioneer. It's time for us to build. And the only way that we build the kingdom, the only way that we establish the kingdom is to understand that you can't build the kingdom with a sword. You can't, you can't build the kingdom when you're stuck in war mode and you're still dealing with PTSD from the past ages and all that you walked through and all the difficulty and all that you had to lay down and all the fighting and all the declarations and the the casting out, you have to come into a place where he says, I'm about to change the way you think because that worked in a day, but you can't build a house with a sword. Why is it important that we get that? Because I believe that there's another generation coming and they'll be abiders. There'll be those that, that don't know the smell of blood. That don't even know how to swing a sword because there's no reason. They don't know the work it took to build a house. But they'll live and move and have their being in the kingdom of Yahweh. That I, like this message today would sound ridiculous to them. If we get it, the message of you know, healing being wild game, all that kind of stuff, like, that would be like, that, no, that, that's what we live in. We, wait, we have, we have Christ within us, like, we walk in the Spirit. What are you talking about? Shame and guilt. Why would I hate this person? Which side am I on? No. Joshua's angel, which side are you on? No, no. I dwell in the land of the kingdom. And it's not, and, and I do believe though it's difficult that it's not impossible for a pioneer to become a builder or a builder to become a homesteader or a, uh, an abider. But you have to change the way you think. And we have to get this thing. We have to understand that he's trying to show us a simple thing. Because there's kids out there on that playground right now that they don't need to have this same conversation 10 years from now. And they, I want them to be in here just worshiping and not even have to be like, let me lay hands and make this declaration of healing. But they, someone walks into the room and done. That like Regina talked about this, this, this river that we, that we carry a river within us that never runs dry, that we can walk by a person. That my, I want my, my sons and my daughters and I want the kids, your kids, I want that next generation to be the generation that, that because we were faithful to build, because we were faithful to say, I'm getting my taste buds back. Because it, we're, we're faithful to say, I'm going to walk in communion, that there will be a day of rest unlike any other. That they'll be able to kick their feet back in this kingdom and just enjoy this day and enjoy this world. And so much of Yahweh's goodness will just flow over this earth like no other. And if this, talk, if this is just a lot of prophetic talk to you, like just stay here with me. This is what we're being called to. 
And we have to pick up the tools that Yahweh is giving us. And for me right now, that's intercession. Man, I'm, I'm, I'm going to tell you, I'm, I'm moved this morning. I, f- I, I feel the presence of Yahweh in this place. I feel change. Let's go to, uh, I think let's go to 2 Kings 4.8. I hope this story will help me illustrate something here in, in kind of what I just believe I just spoke about. And what we've kind of been speaking about this morning. All right, this is Second uh, Kings four, chapter uh, chapter four, verse eight. And you remember, I want to I want to just preface this with you remember that we that we talked about um, last week with Elijah's story of intercession, and I encourage you to go back and listen to that because to me that's one of the purest intercessory moments in the Bible that I've found. And I, and I think it's, it's amazing, but I did reference this story, which I think is powerful too and pulls out some more things, but this is Elisha and his moment of intercession. Okay. <clears throat> now it happened one day that Elisha went to Shunem where there was a notable woman and she persuaded him to eat some food. So it was as often as he passed by, he would Turn in there to eat some food. And she said to her husband, Look now, I know that this is a holy man of God who passes by us regularly. Please let us make a small upper room on the wall and let us put a bed for him there and a table and a chair and a lampstand. So it will be whenever he comes to us, he can turn in there. And it happened one day that he came there and he turned into the upper room and lay down there. Then he said to Gehazi, his servant, call the Shunammite woman. When he called her, she stood before him. And he said to him, say now to her, look, you have been concerned for us with all this care. What can I do for you? Do you want me to speak on, the, uh, speak on your behalf to the king or to the commander of the army? She answered, I dwell among my own people. So he said, when there is uh, what then is to be done for her? And Gehazi answered, actually, she has no son and her husband is old. So he said, call her. When he had called her, she stood in the doorway. Then he said, about this time next year, you shall embrace a son. And she said, no, my Lord, man of God, do not lie to your maidservant. But the woman conceived and, before, and bore a son when the appointed time had come, of which Elisha had told her. I want to stop real quick and just, there was a lot, a lot of reading there, but just to break this thing down of, of, of Elisha is, is walking by this woman recognizes the presence, the source within Elisha. And she commits to herself in that time that before there's ever going to be any kind of issue or need, I'm drawing towards this man. I want to make a place for him to abide in my midst forever. And so she builds him a house. She gets her husband to build an upper room. And in Elisha's mind, he wants to repay this woman. Like, you've been concerned with us for no reason. Let, 
what can we do for you? Let me talk to the king. Let me do whatever. And Gehazi, his servant, just recognizes that she, even though she says she doesn't need anything, he recognizes that she has no son, and he tells Elisha that. Elisha makes a prophecy, speaks the word, and her response to that is, no, my Lord, man of God, do not lie to your maidservant. More than likely, because, not that she didn't want a son, but because that's something that was so deeply rooted in her heart. In order to understand these stories, we have to get into where they're at. This is something that she saw absolutely zero hope for. No, no way I'm going to have a son. And all of a sudden, prophetically, something that she never asked for, Elisha says, by this time next year, you'll have a son. Right? Like, it wasn't a begging, like, well, I don't have a son. That would be great. No. He came and he made this declaration. And in her heart, she just said, no, you don't understand how badly I want this and how much of a desire I have in my heart for a boy. Please don't lie. Please don't deceive me. I can't take that. And the child grew, this is 18. Now it happened one day that he went out to his father, to the reapers. This is the boy, he's, he's going out to his father. And he said to his father, my head, my head. So he said to his servant, carry him to his mother. When he had taken him and brought him to his mother, he sat on her knees till noon and then he died. And she went up and laid him on the bed of the man of God shut the door upon him and went out. Then she called to her husband and said, please send one of the young men and one of the donkeys that I may run to the man of God and come back. So he said, why are you going to him today? It is neither the new moon nor the Sabbath. And she said, it is well. Then she saddled a donkey and said to her servant, drive and go forward. Do not slacken the pace for me unless I tell you. And so she departed and went to the man of God at Mount Carmel. So it was when the man of God saw her afar off, then that he said to his servant Gehazi, look, the Shunammite woman, please run now to meet her and say to her, is it well with you? Is it well with your husband? And is it well with your child? And she answered to Gehazi, it is well. Now when she came to the man of God at the hill, she caught him by the feet. But Gehazi came near to push her away. But the man of God said, let her alone for her soul is in deep distress. And the Lord has hidden it from me and has not told me. So she said, did I not ask or did I ask for a son, my Lord? Did I not say, do not deceive me? So then Gehazi's, or, or then, then Elisha's in a place of realizing what's going on. Without her really saying the words, he understands. And so what he does is he says, then, then Gehazi, get yourself ready and take my staff in your hand and be on your way. If you meet anyone, do not greet him. And if anyone greets you, do not answer him, but lay my staff on the face of the child. And the mother of the child said, now think about this. Elisha has probably operated in this before. We don't know everything in here. But Elisha has a stirring in him at the moment to say, take my staff and lay it on that child's face. And I think in his mind, in, his, in that moment, he's kind of stirred by that. He's probably like, watch Yahweh work. This is going to be powerful. Gehazi, you go ahead. And I'm just going to sit back. I'm going to watch this. You just follow him and watch. But then something happens. She says, the mother of the child said, as the Lord lives, 
as your soul lives, I will not leave you. That's an interesting statement. The reason that's an interesting statement is it's because it's the exact same wording, exact same statement that Elisha made to Elijah when Elijah was trying to get rid of him. And I believe that that stirred Elisha. I believe Elisha all of a sudden remembered the man that, he, that fathered him. I believe that Elisha started to be stirred and thinking about the day that he asked for a double anointing and what that might require. Because then it says, so he arose and followed her. Now Gehazi went off on ahead of them and laid the staff on the face of the child, but there was neither voice nor hearing. Therefore he went back to meet him and told, and told him, saying, the child has not awakened. So Gehazi does what he was supposed to do. He's off ahead of him. But Elisha's already walking with this woman. I believe, I believe that we are a, a people, not this people, but I'm talking about as a nation. This is why I get very stirred about the political fight. Why I get very stirred of how we enter into certain things. Because when we put our trust and our faith in a, in a system, when we, when we point the finger towards a system, I believe that we have basically sent Gehazi. I believe that we've sent, we've sent some, we've, we've, we've forfeited our authority. We've handed it over to someone else. And Yahweh gave us the earth. And Yahweh gave us the authority and the responsibility here. And I'm not saying don't please pray for those in leadership. Please do that. Please. But if you're praying, great. But if you spend all your time and you can text and you can post and you can quote and you can get riled up and you can fight and you can prove and you can say all of these things about them, but you can't wake up in the morning and enter into intercession for this nation and for this planet, and for that person. Or if you are pointing to another generation and saying, if these millennials or these whatever could get it like we, they don't know how to work. They don't know how, what it means like this. If you have any way of pointing it this way, all you're doing is stepping out of the, the responsibility. In fact, you're the Elisha to the next generation. You're the one that spoke the word of generation to generation and kingdom ever increasing and from glory to glory. And if that's true, we need to take the responsibility of Elisha and not send a Gehazi off. But as Elisha, we need to step in there and remember intercession is standing in the gap for someone. It's not praying just as a prayer. It is literally taking the responsibility to feel how someone else, is, else feels, to understand how someone else understands, to offer something up to Yahweh like someone else would. The child has not awakened, Gehazi said. When Elisha came into the house, there was the child laying dead on his bed. The woman took this boy to his bed Remember the story of Elijah. Elijah took the boy to his bed, his own place. He put him in his situation. Could have done it right there on the floor. She could have left the boy right there. But she knew the source and took him to 
his room, in his bed, in his situation. He went in there. So there's the boy lying dead on the, on, on the bed. 33 says, he went in, therefore, shut the door behind the two of them and prayed to the Lord. And he went up and laid on the child and he put his mouth on his mouth and his eyes on his eyes and his hands on his hands. And he stretched himself out on the child and the flesh of the child became warm. He returned and walked back and, back and forth in the house and again went up and stretched himself out on him. Then the child sneezed seven times and the child opened his eyes. I don't know what Elisha's prayer of intercession was, but I can almost promise you that it started something like this. Did she ask for a son, Yahweh? Did she not ask me not to deceive her? Because what what intercession is, is taking the heart of someone else upon yourself and to stand in the gap for someone. And that if we are going to be a people that actually want to change something and we want to change a culture and we want to bring Christ to the planet and then we can sit there and point the finger. I just feel us today taking that thing and going like this. There's a, a cool story of Nehemiah. Nehemiah came back to his city in ruins. And he knew that it was because they had turned their back on Yahweh. But Nehemiah makes the prayer. Nehemiah was a righteous man. He didn't have, he didn't, he wasn't a part of this. But Nehemiah in his own city stands up and he says, Yahweh, I know we've sinned against you. I know that we have come short of of you. I know that we've turned our backs on you. But I am standing in this gap as a righteous man, carrying this burden. I ask for change. I ask for this thing, this thing to shift. It wasn't, I, I don't, I, I've never, ever, ever had a racist type of feeling within me. I've never, ever, ever had any kind of thought of abortion or whatever it might be. And I don't understand people like that. And I don't understand certain topics. But I know that I can see people as sons and daughters of Yahweh. And I can separate myself from the hate and say, Yahweh, this nation as a whole needs your will, needs your goodness, needs your Amen. your." touch, your change, and we don't need a correct political environment to make that happen, right? Like revival or change or shifting does not need everything to be perfect and right for Yahweh to move. But I believe that as, I just believe that as we've pointed our finger, as we've come against and we've entered the fight of politics, and I'm just using that because it's really the thing that's forefront right now. There's so many other things, but this is forefront. And it's something that I just see kingdom people so many times enter into. And it is Christ within us, the hope of glory. And there has to be, I'm fine with you having a standard and having a point, but you spewing that off as just a different form of venom is not right. And us standing in the gap for this nation and us learning to intercede, waking up in the morning, going to bed at night, with intercession in our hearts, is, is vital to change this world. I, I, it, it's vital for us to build the kingdom. It's vital for us to be builders, and it's vital for the next generation to be abiders. I really believe this in my heart this morning. Change the way we think. Change the way we think.
I just, I, I just, I, I feel, I feel like really what needs to happen this morning is they're just, we need to pray. And I want to stand up and I want to do that. We're not absent of dark times and we don't turn our cheek to the fact that things are, that this nation needs a change, that this world needs some change, but we're not called to be darkness in the midst of darkness. We're called to be light in the midst of darkness. And in order to be light in the midst of something that's dark, you have to change the way that you approach every single thing. We have to see ourselves as a big deal. We have to see ourselves that when we pray, it's impossible for nothing to happen. We have to see ourselves that this is common, that people's lives, like people didn't get blessed today. They got healed today. Like we have to, we have to see those types of things. And I, like I said last week, I'm not saying it's not a steep learning curve and that we've been, there's a lot and I'm constantly having to till up this ground in my heart and pull out roots of things, disbelief and, and fear and anxiety. But as I'm doing that, I'm realizing things that I'm not letting back in. Above all else, guard your heart. And I'm learning that that is my role as a kingdom man, is that I guard what goes in here. I am the governor, the gardener of what's in my heart. And one day, there's not going to be anything there except Yeshua the Christ. And in that day, it won't be people we're blessed. It'll be people are healed. And I believe that that's what's taking place today. Amen. I want to say this real quick, because I did not do any announcements, and I, and I want to touch this real quick. But... Uh, Pastor George Brantley in, in the Rock of Gainesville. I haven't mentioned this, and a lot of you might know this, um, but, but we love him, and he's a brother of ours. Um, and this, is, this comes from his, what he wrote to us, but doctors have confirmed a diagnosis of multiple myeloma, a cancer that forms in a type of white blood cell called a plasma cell. Plasma cells help fight infections, by making antibodies that recognize and attack germs. Multiple myeloma causes cancer cells to accumulate in the bone marrow where they crowd out healthy blood cells. Pastor George started treatment Monday, November the 18th. At the end of four months of treatment, he will be admitted to the hospital to undergo a bone marrow transplant. A month after the bone marrow transplant, they will retest his blood and determine whether he will need to undergo the same course of treatment a second time. I believe that we have the ability to stand in the gap for George Brantley today. If we have the presence of healing within this place, we have the ability to release that. We're not, the kingdom's not constrained by time and and space, right? Like we, I want to send this healing presence. I want to send this thing. And mom, why don't you come up here? And and I want to pray. And it doesn't have to be a long prayer. I just want you to speak healing And I want us to come into agreement. And I want this people to intercede for George Brantley. I want us to feel what his kids are feeling, right? His family and his church family and the people around him. And a man that's done so much for the kingdom and changed so many lives and led people to Yahweh. Like, I want us to to stand in the gap for him. Amen. Yahweh, I thank you for this day. I thank you for the healing waters. I thank you for the crashing healing waters that I felt today. I thank you that that spirit 
in this place, I declare and prophesy that it invades the space where Pastor George and Suzanne Brantley stand right at this moment, that the crashing waves of healing power crash upon them. Sweep away all cancer. Cancer cannot stand and cannot stay when the healing waters of Yahweh flow through Pastor George Brantley and Suzanne Brantley. I declare that the healing waters of our God, mighty God, are flowing through you today, are crashing against you. The two of you, you cannot even hardly stand now in the presence of the mighty Yahweh, the healing waters that are flowing to you and through you now. In Yeshua's name, I declare it so. Amen. Yahweh, we speak over this nation today. We take on the responsibility as builders in this day. We take on the responsibility as kingdom sons. And we're not just going to sit back and get fat and happy on a word, but we want to live and abide in your word, your word to our lives. We speak over the leaders of this nation, Republican, Democrat, all leaders. We speak over them, no matter where they stand and no matter where we stand on these issues. Those are your children. And we just speak a presence over them, a deeper encounter with you, that your your kindness, your goodness leads men to change the way that they think. On both sides, ask you to end the war, Yahweh, end the war among the politics and take the kingdom people out of that and let them stop subscribing to an inferior government and understand that they're connected to a superior one and that the authority doesn't lie on Donald Trump and the authority doesn't lie on Nancy Pelosi and the authority doesn't lie with other people around the world but the authority lies within the sons and daughters and that the uncommon things are starting to become common We separate ourselves from the hate and the war. And we pick up our hammers and we pick up our screwdrivers. We pick up our tools. Whatever we have to do to build this kingdom, Yahweh. We thank you for the opportunity to build something for the next generation. And we say yes today. Amen. You are my vision. Reason for living. Your kindness leads me to Thank you for listening. For more information on The Rock of Bay County, please go to therockofbc.org.